Well, so we just had Christmas yesterday, and you know, sometimes uh, I, I, I love Christmas time. I love birthdays, and so your son had birthday and Christmas all at the same time. I, I love birthdays, I love Christmas, and um, if if you're anything like me, I, you enjoy getting presents, and one of my favorite presents has often been um, when when people like give me an envelope with money in it because I love saving it and I love, you know, some people think about that and they think, well, there's not, not, not a lot of thought went into that. I think a lot of thought goes into that because they're like, I want you to get exactly what you want. And in fact, that's what I did. I saved up for years, like Christmas and birthday and, and all the things that I got envelopes with money. And that's how I bought the motorcycle that I, I had been wanting a motorcycle since I was just a kid. And that's how I did that this past year. I, I was like, I took all that money, and I, actually I had been carrying it around in my wallet. And so, and I just took it, and I bought that motorcycle. I was so excited about that. And then, then there are other types of gifts, though. Um, there are some gifts that, that, you know, it's Christmas Eve, and you see men running to Walmart or running to Massey's Market on Main or running, you see them running somewhere and they know they've got to get a gift because tomorrow's Christmas and so they've got to get, and so, you know, they didn't do a lot of planning, advanced prep. They didn't do any recon at all. They had no idea. They just have to go. They know they have to get something. And so that's when... So often, I think Christmas, sometimes for moms, ends up being kind of a letdown. And so to celebrate that fact this morning, I want you to, Vanessa and I, she showed me this video, and I laughed so hard at this video. Cole can't use the video I'm getting ready to use because they're, uh, they're on Facebook Live this morning, and we can't put that on Facebook Live. So he was so jealous that I get to use this video. If it works for us... We, Vanessa and I laughed so hard at this video. We want you to laugh too. Here we go. Oh my goodness. I'm glad you enjoyed that as much as we did. So sometimes there's this whole category of things that we could just kind of call the no thought gift. <laughs> the gift that just didn't get any thought. It was kind of last minute. You know you had to do something. Because ha haven't we all said this? It's the thought that counts, you know, when it's a gift. It doesn't matter how big or what it is, really. It's the thought that counts. But what if there's no thought that goes into it? And, well, then it seems like it doesn't really count for much. But a gift, though, that costs, a gift that has a cost. Now, that's a very different thing, a costly gift. And, and it can cost all kinds of different things. I mean, maybe it just costs time time in thought or time in making something and putting it together and organizing it or maybe it was you know just consideration and thinking and planning or maybe it's a gift that cost financially wow I, I was humbled last week when I got a gift from somebody last week and when I got that gift I knew I knew the sacrifice that was involved in that, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not sure. I, I felt so humbled in receiving that gift because of the sacrifice that I know was made in order for that gift to happen. Wow. Gifts that, that cost time or they cost money. Now, those gifts are they're 
They're highly valued. For just a moment, think with me. Maybe a time that you got a gift, you received one, maybe it was yesterday, a a gift that required some kind of great cost, either in preparation or planning or time or sacrifice, money. I'm not sure, but the higher the cost that's involved as you think about that gift, the greater we tend to value it and the more humbling it is to receive that gift. Isn't that true for all of us? When someone gives you that gift that you know required a a, a deep sacrifice of some sort, it somehow takes that gift and makes it grow even bigger. And here's something else that's true about gifts. A a, A gift tends to become even more meaningful when that gift somehow solves a problem for you. If you have some kind of problem or situation and somebody does something for you, that gift, it, it kind of grows bigger too, doesn't it? I, I last, last uh, goodness, I can't remember what day it was. Uh, I think it was Tuesday. Last Tuesday, um, I get a phone. I'm, I'm in Malvern working from here, and I get a phone call Tuesday, and someone says, uh, hey, we've got a water leak in the Stuttgart building. Now, if you're not aware, uh, the week before Father's Day this year, that building completely flooded from from the rain. And the whole facility flooded. And it took us months and months to get back in that building. And so when someone said we had a water leak, I was really concerned because we're not even done getting back in that building and to think that we might have to start ripping out walls again. And so I was like, oh no. So I called, I have a handful of people that I know. Okay, here's some go-to people. I call them and I couldn't get a hold of anybody. And so the water leak is growing and it's moving from one room now to the next room. And so I'm getting concerned. And so we had a first-time guest get this, a first-time guest that Sunday who gave me his phone number and said, hey, I'd like your phone number. I was like, great, give me your number, and we exchanged numbers. I called that first-time guest, and he said, he answered the phone. He had been taking a Sunday, wait, this was Sunday, actually. I'm sorry, it was Sunday after I had gotten home. He had been taking a Sunday afternoon nap. And he said, and he woke up, he said, yeah, yeah, what's up? And I, and I told him what was going on. And he, and he said, I said, can you go shut off our water at the street in the main, the main water supply? Because we don't know what's happening. And he said, I'll go right there. And he did. And then I had made a Facebook post because I was looking for anyone who might be able to help me out. And another guy, as soon as I hung up with him, another guy called me. And he was like, how can I help? And he came over and they met and they figured it out, got it, turned, got it shut off, got it turned off. What a gift. When you have a need and something's going on and you can't meet it, there was no way I could take care of that from Malvern. What a gift that was. Wow, that was huge. So sometimes gifts that we receive, they solve a problem. Now, that's kind of where we have been teetering this whole series, kind of working through this entire thing. And that's what we find here, what we're going to be talking about today. Because 
in my life, I've got a problem. And if you're anything like me, which this is kind of all humanity, you have a problem too. And so together, we have a problem. And it's a problem of such significance that we can't solve this on our own. So let me kind of recap where we have been with this. We talked about how God, um, for his glory, he decided to create. And create he did. God created everything. And he said it is good. In fact, at one point he said it is very good. His creation was perfect. And among his creation was his prized creation, that element that he said was very good, and that was mankind, Adam and Eve, his prized creation. But here's the problem. God's creation, that prized creation, ultimately wanted to steal his glory. And, well, they wanted to be like God, and they wanted to know things like God, and as a result, that creation that God created is perfect, that creation became ultimately and horrifically broken. And get this, God knew that's what was actually going to happen the whole time. He knew that's what creation was going to do. He knew that it was going to break, that they were going to take what he had made perfect and make it imperfect. But God created anyway, knowing that's what was going to happen. So before he had ever done that, he had already thought about it, and he already understood all the problems in infinite detail he already knew, even before creation. He knew there was going to be a problem, and God created anyway. I think that's amazing. God created already with his plan completely formed and ready So here we go for the screen. His plan from the very beginning would be a free gift. That's what his plan was. His plan was a free gift. He already knew that he was going to have a gift that he offered the world. We read about this in John 3.16. I don't have it on the screen for you, but I just want to describe it. How God said he loved us, his creation, so very much that he gave. And that giving, that's the gift. He gave that gift of his only son as a sacrifice for the entire, the entire world. So God gave from the very beginning. That was his plan. God was going to give. He knew it was going to take this kind of gift in order to take the sins, the brokenness of the entire world and make it right. Now, when you think about the brokenness of the entire world, that's quite a pile of sin. That's quite a pile of brokenness. And it would take some kind of unimaginable, huge death, huge sacrifice to pay that kind of cost, a a sacrifice that would be so significant, it would take a sacrifice the size of God himself in order to pay that kind of debt. In other words, what I'm saying is God would have to die to pay that kind of debt. And the gift, well, it's his death and his resurrection. That is the gift. The gift was the death of God. But see, there's a problem here 
a huge problem because God can't die. Therefore, here was God's plan from the very beginning. The, the, it was in motion from the moment of creation. The plan is this, Emmanuel, which means God walking among us. God had to show up on this earth in a state, in a form that he could suffer and that he could die. I love how this gift is explained by Paul. He wrote a letter to the church that was meeting in the city of Rome. We have it recorded uh, for us, that very same letter, Romans chapter 6. I'm going to look at verse 3. And here's how Paul describes it. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to notice that word free, gift. We talked about that in week number one of this series. That gift, wow, what a cost that was involved for that free gift. The cost was the humiliation and the torture and the death of God. What a gift. Because what a cost. I want to give you the first part of our bottom line this morning. Here it is. His gift for us cost him everything. And what a gift. Because what a cost. And because it costs so much, then we tend to think about that. Then what a value. What an enormous value. A gift like that would be something to be cherished and embraced and something to be, uh, to be aware of and humbled by every single day. A gift of such value would be one of those things that would be on your mind moment by moment. You would be aware of that gift constantly because of the cost. So that brings us to this morning. This is where we're going to land with this entire series today. With this question. What have we done with this costly gift? You see, if some of us, myself included, I think if we're being honest, our attitude toward this costly gift would be something like this. We'd say, sure, yeah, free? <laughs> Sign me, I'll take that free gift. I'll take that. I'll take the gift and, and I'll take what it gives me. I'll take that free gift. But then nothing really changes. Not for the typical American Anyway, nothing really changes. I mean, I still get to do what I want. I still get to choose what I want, live how I want. Because after all, hey, I took the gift. And you know what? Here, I've got a cross. I'll take what it gives me. 
I'll take what that means to me. I'll take the gift. But here's the real thing. The real thing I treasure is this. You can only see this if you're on the front row, but I'll describe it to you. It's my get-out-of-jail-free card. I raided Nathan's Monopoly board last night. I, it's my get-out-of-frail-G get card. <laughs> get-out-of-jail-free card. This is what I really wanted. Because I can take this, I can put it in my wallet, I could carry, I, I could take all this other stuff and I could just tote it over there to that dresser on the stage, on, on the, the window stage there, and I could just shut it up, put it in the dresser and know I've got this, I've got it tucked away. And I, I could even tuck this away too. I don't have to have it on me. I just know I've got it and so I could put that away. Sure, I'm going to take it because it's free. And I'll take everything that comes along with it. Get out of jail, free card. I'm going to take it. And I still get to do what I want to do and live how I want to live. And listen, I'm good. I'm good because I'm saved, right? I got it. I'm in like Flynn. We're in good shape. No problems. And what happens for many Americans with this free gift of Jesus, this free gift that comes at great cost to him and should be highly valued and treasured, well, it all just really for us gets boiled down to, I've got my card, my get-out-of-jail-free card. See, I'm saved. I'm saved. I, I've accepted this free gift that cost him everything. I mean, I'll listen to some K-Love as long as they're not raising money. I'll wear some Christian t-shirts. I'll even make some Christian Facebook posts, share some things. I, you know, I'll do all that. See, I'm on board. I'm on Team Jesus. I'm on Team Jesus. I'm on board. But sadly, what I've just described has become the American Gospel. Gospel is another word for good news. The American good news about Jesus. You can have this free gift and then you can just go about your life the way you want to go about your life. And sadly, here's the truth. We've put this free gift of Jesus somewhere deep inside of a drawer or a filing cabinet locked away because we know we really only have to worry about it when it comes down to this. It's more like a great insurance policy. It's there when we need it. We've got the peace, in mi peace of mind that we have it, but that insurance policy doesn't really impact our lives day to day moment by moment. I have it, and I've got it tucked away for when I need it later. It's kind of behind one of those glass enclosures that say break in case of emergency. That's where it is. 
And instead of treating God's free gift to us as something that is highly valued, something that is of such great cost that it deserves to be valued above every other thing in my life, instead I seem to value every other thing in my life above him. But here's our big problem. The biggest problem with all of that is there is no such thing as the American gospel in Scripture. It doesn't exist. Now remember a few weeks ago, we told you that we're going to be talking about almost every week in this series some kind of paradox A paradox really is just something where it's a term describing two different things that seem to be and really kind of are polar opposites, but they are both true. They seem to contradict each other, but they are both true. So here's our paradox today. This free gift of Jesus... It's free, completely free, but it's not free. It's a paradox. There actually is a cost for us. So while it is free, and we can't do anything to get it, we can't work hard enough to get it. We can never, ever be good enough to deserve it or to earn it. While it is free, there is still a cost for us. Now, not long before Jesus' eventual arrest and torture and his execution to give us this free gift, he gave a very clear message to his followers. And the account that we're going to look at is found in what's called uh, one of the Gospels this morning. So what this is, uh, the, we're going to be looking at a, an eyewitness, first-hand account from Matthew. He was with Jesus when this happened, and he recorded it. And here's what Matthew, how he describes this scene. Matthew, it's in chapter 16, verse 24, starting there. Then Jesus said to his disciples, again, Matthew heard this himself. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, he's saying you've got to give up the way you want to live, the way you would decide to do it yourself, and you're going to follow me. Now, even for the most serious part here, he says, Take up your cross. Now, for us, if you have grown up in or around or been in church often, you may have heard this phrase, and we're used to seeing crosses as decoration, as ornaments. We're used to seeing crosses around us. But here's what the audience that heard Jesus say this, the first time that he said this, here's what went through their mind. Jesus said and invited them to take up their own method of execution 
and not just any old execution, not like a lethal injection. Take up your method of torture and execution, and then he said, and follow me. Now that sounds more serious, does it not? It also sounds more involved. For something that's free, suddenly we realize, wait a minute, there's some kind of cost involved here. He goes on and describes it. Uh, Verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, Jesus says, you will lose it. But if you give up, so something's going to be given up in this process. He says, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. According to Jesus, to be on team Jesus, our way is out. It's not even an option. Our preferences are out. Our position, our gain, our direction, what I want of that is all out. It's not even a part. And get this, even our ownership is out. Throughout the New Covenant, we hear phrases like, we have been bought. We have been purchased. Our ownership is out. Paul describes this. I I, want to look at, at this whole concept for just a moment. Paul wrote a letter to the church that was in Corinth, and here's what he said. He said, for God bought you, purchased you, bought you with a high price. A high price. It was a high cost which means it's something of great value. So this free gift, but not really free, because, well, it is free. It's free, but it's not free. But it's free. It's a paradox. Here's the rest of our bottom line. A gift for us that cost him everything and ultimately cost us everything too. It's a paradox. I find it interesting that Paul used the Greek word here that translates into our English word bought or purchased. God bought me and he bought you if you're a follower of his. And he bought you and he bought me with a very significant gift that had a very high price, a sacrificial gift. And with that purchase, he now becomes the boss. He becomes the master. He is now in charge. It is now his way because he bought me. It is now his way, not my way. It almost sounds as if Paul describes it, and it is no accident that he's using these terms. It's almost as if he's saying that we're a slave. We have been purchased. And it is no accident 
Because many other places in Paul's letters, he uses that term, slave, to describe himself and his relationship to God. Here's an example. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we talked about that just a moment ago, he begins the whole letter by saying this in Romans 1.1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. It's not an accident that Paul describes himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. Because that is exactly how Paul viewed himself. And the Greek word that he uses there for slave, that word is doulos. And and that word literally means one who is subservient to and entirely at the disposal of his master. Which means he's a slave. Paul describes himself as one who was subservient to Jesus, entirely at his disposal. Now listen with me. That sounds very, very different than what we in America look at as our American gospel. Most of us grew up with that concept of the American gospel. This whole thing of fire insurance. Get your get out of jail free card, tuck it away, and it's there when you need it. It's not something that impacts our lives on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis. It's just there. We'll break the glass in case of emergency. We've got it. We know we've got it. We put it in a drawer, and we have it. We have received that gift, placed it in a drawer, and we have packed it away. And we'll use it when it's convenient to use it. A gift for us that cost him everything. And ultimately, it cost us everything too. It's a paradox. It is free. But it's not really free. It's a free gift that actually cost me everything. Now I know today there might be some tension in the room when we use a word that is so not politically correct, a word like slave. Because that kind of digs into the American recent past, our recent history. We're a young country. And it kind of might sting to use that word here in America, and I I understand that. But when Paul wrote this, there was not a better way, there was not a more descriptive way for Paul to describe it than to use the word slave. And here's one of the reasons why. When Paul wrote this, uh, Rome, they, you know, they governed most of the known world. At the time that he wrote this, about one-third of the Roman population were slaves. 33% roughly were slaves. And another one-third, which takes it up to two-thirds now, another one-third had been slaves. So two-thirds of the population were deeply 
understanding the term slave. One-third of the population understood the term slave probably from a, a, a more powerful position. They understood what that term meant, and it really spoke to them. Paul's audience completely understood those words. And for Paul to call himself a slave of Christ, it implied for him a willingness, a willingness to accept that significant cost and to willingly submit himself to the ownership of Jesus. It also makes something else that Jesus said a little more clear for us today. Listen to what Luke wrote down. Luke, for his biography of Jesus, Luke were, was there for parts of it, and then, but Luke interviewed all the eyewitnesses who heard everything firsthand, and then he recorded his research. And here's what Luke said and recorded in Luke chapter 14. He said a large, a large crowd uh, was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, he said, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. And then he said, and yes, even your own life. Now think with me. That sounds like Jesus is saying there is a cost involved. And Jesus goes on. He says, otherwise, if you don't do this, otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And then listen, he goes further, verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And then he gives us a warning as if to say, by the way, this is not fire insurance. By the way, this is something that is also going to cost you. He says very next in verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. Interesting. Jesus Sounds like he's saying, don't even begin this journey unless you're sure that you're willing to pay your part of the price. Because this journey of being my follower, it sounds like Jesus is saying, ultimately, not only is it going to cost me everything to give it to you, it's going to cost you everything to have it. Or, as Paul puts it in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he says, I have become a slave of Christ. 
Paul is saying, I have willingly given up my path and my way and my desires, and instead, I'm a slave. And it's no longer what I want. I'm going to go with what he wants. It's what he wants. Because a gift for us that cost him everything, ultimately, cost us everything too. Paul described himself as a slave. He wasn't the only one. Peter also described himself as a slave. Peter wrote a letter, and uh, Peter was also one of those first-hand eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus. And here's what Peter said in 2 Peter, his second letter, actually. Um, And uh, let's see, chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave, an apostle, of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you, he says, who share the same precious faith we have. A faith that was given, in other words, freely given this free gift to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. But this free gift, he says, it's a purchase because I'm a slave to him. Free, but it's not free. James, the brother of Jesus, he describes himself as a slave to Jesus. Now, what would it take for you to describe yourself as a slave to your brother? Jude describes himself as a slave of Jesus. But I find it interesting, in those moments where they do that, the ones I'm referring to, they're not speaking of me, and they're not speaking of you. They are describing themselves, and they are describing this is what it is like for anyone who chooses to follow Jesus. A slave. It's a description. This is simply what it is to be a follower of his. It's a gift for us that cost him everything, and ultimately it cost us everything too. So while those words describe themselves, this is where we're ending today. Here's my question. How do you describe yourself? I just want to suggest several options today. Bryce is going to kind of put them on the screen as we go. How do you describe yourself in relation to this free gift? A free gift that cost him everything and ultimately cost us everything too. How do we describe ourselves? Can we honestly say, yeah, I'm a slave for Jesus. In my life. It is whatever he wants. And when we say that, we're not saying we hit that perfectly. Even Paul, who described himself as that slave, he says, listen, I still do what I don't want to do. I still mess up and I blow it. But how would you describe yourself? Is it, yes, I I recognize and I realize I am submitting. I I am his. It's whatever he wants. That's what I'm going to do. Or maybe, maybe you didn't quite understand that. If you've heard or been around the Christian church, and maybe you didn't quite understand that, but maybe this morning as we have read through those scriptures and discussed the meanings of those words, maybe you said, I've never really considered it like that before. But yeah, I, I have to agree. 
That's what I mean with my life. Yeah, I, I admit that. That's what I mean. When I said I'm a follower of Jesus, I didn't quite understand that I would become his slave. But yeah, that's, I, I do believe that. And I'm going to try to begin living that truth. Is that where you are today? You might say, Jesus, as, as you continue to define this and help me understand this as I live my life, I'm going to do my best to say yes to you on a daily basis and just follow you, your way, not my way. I'm going to, yes, I'm going to figure out how do I take up my cross, Jesus, and how do I follow you? Or maybe here's a third option. Maybe you hear that and you're just saying, yeah, that, that cost is too much. Yeah, I, I hear you, Harley, I, I hear you, but I opt out. I'm going to unsubscribe to that. I'm, I'm out. That cost is too high. I, I'm, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm, I feel like I can do and make decisions for myself. I, I'm going to lead my life. I'm not going to become a slave of Christ. I am not going to follow him. Or perhaps this morning, maybe you're just still not sure. Maybe you'd have to say, you know, Harley, I, I'm still looking. I, I'm still investigating. I'm still thinking. I, if you want to know, use your words, Harley, I, I'm still counting the cost. And I would say to you, great. Great. Keep doing that. Keep seeking him and keep coming and being a part of what we're doing and keep investigating the claims of Christ. Until you can get to the point where you either say, I'm opting in, or no, I'm not willing to pay that price, that cost, I'm opting out. But keep coming and keep investigating. Because here's the part of the story that we have saved for this very moment. We've waited until right now to reveal this to you. Yes, yes, we agree. Possibly. It, it's, it's a gift that cost him everything, and ultimately it cost us everything too. And, and I'm no longer in control of my life. I, I'm simply a slave to Christ as Paul described. But being a slave to Christ, it's okay. It's worth it. Because as we have said two weeks we said every single layer, if you could dissect Jesus, every single layer of Jesus is complete and pure love. Here's how Jesus described himself as what we could say, our master. Listen to what he says. Matthew recorded it. He heard it. He wrote it down. Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And he said this, I'm not going to beat you down. I will give you rest. Jesus then said, Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. This is the kind of master we would have if we submit to Jesus. I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy to bear 
and the burden I give you is light. Sounds like love. It to me sounds like the one who was tortured for us and the one who died for us purchases us and it is all really out of love. That's what it sounds like to me. And so here's my last question as we end. What are you going to do with that gift? Not the gift that we have grown up thinking it was like. What are you going to do with that gift that cost him everything and ultimately the great paradox It cost us everything too. Let's pray. Jesus, you said that you would give our souls rest. And I am so grateful. Jesus, it was your love for us that drove you to endure the torture that drove you to endure death for us. And may we see that high sacrifice, that high cost, what you paid for us, may we see that as a purchase. And if we would just agree to that, then we are transferring the ownership of our lives from me, from us, to you. And God, for those who are not yet sure, may you make your truth and the truth of your words evident to them in proportion to how honestly they seek you, Jesus. And we ask all of these things in your precious name that we celebrate right now, Jesus. Amen.